This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, Canada's largest and most influential association fighting for the interests of Canadians as we age. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. What is all the buzz around the drug Ozempic? And a new focus on caregiving in Canada. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. China's population has fallen for the first time in decades, signaling a demographic crisis. Nine and a half million people were born in China last year, while ten and a half million died, marking the first time the deaths outnumbered the births in China since the early 60s. This not only has major implications for China's economy, but for the world. Experts cite China's one-child policy started in 1979 as the leading reason for the country's dwindling population. A blood test may soon be able to help patients with colon cancer decide whether they need chemotherapy after surgery or if they can safely skip it. Currently, many patients with surgically removable colon cancer are automatically given additional chemo because doctors can't perfectly predict who will or will not benefit from this. The blood test, which measures circulating tumor DNA, may need to be studied further, but oncologists see it as a promising tool that could help many patients forego chemotherapy and its harsh side effects. The results are published in Nature Medicine. An Israeli study proves the importance of medical clowns. Researchers found employing clowns in hospital settings offers benefits far beyond just cheering up patients. Professionally trained clowns can establish an emotional connection with the patient and help them communicate frustrations and difficulties to the medical staff and also increase the patient's desire to follow their medical regimen and distract them from pain. Do you have Zoom fatigue? Researchers in Montreal have figured out what causes it. They measured electrical activity in the brains of 62 mothers and their kids while talking in person and compared it to talking through remote video chat. They found communication is less effective when done through technology rather than in person, and it may also require a greater level of concentration. Canadians continue to have one of the most powerful passports in the world, according to the Henley Passport Index. At number one, Japan offers visa-free access to 193 destinations worldwide. Singapore and South Korea are tied for the second spot with access to 192 destinations. Germany and Spain shared the third spot. Canada comes in at number eight with our passports providing access to 185 countries worldwide. Afghanistan remains last. I'm Libby Snymer and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Elon Musk says it's the reason he looks fit and ripped, and there are unconfirmed reports that the drug Ozempic enabled Kim Kardashian to fit into Marilyn Monroe's dress for the Met Gala. The drug was approved to treat type 2 diabetes and obesity, but its popularity on social media and with celebrities has led to shortages and a debate about who should have priority access. I talked with Dr. Sean Wharton. He specializes in treating obesity and is medical director of the Wharton Medical Clinic. It's indicated for obesity management. Someone living with with significant elevated weight and there's comorbidities associated with that. Fatty liver, um, osteoarthritis, and num- uh, um obstructive sleep apnea, a number of medical conditions. That's not the person who wants to um, lose a, a bit of weight to get into a wedding dress. So <laughs> it, so certainly this medication is approved for appropriate weight management. When we start to flip it into aesthetic use, that's a whole different ball game. Is that a bad thing? You know what? I, I, am, I have an opinion on it. My, my opinion is, is that I don't think it is a bad thing. I think that we use Botox for migraine headaches. That's a, that's a therapeutic use for it. And we also use Botox for aesthetic reasons. I don't see a big problem with using it in two different fields. It's oftentimes different doctors and different issues, but I don't see a big problem with it. But it's apparently even controversial to be used for weight loss because the main indication is to treat type 2 diabetes. And I guess the problem is there are now shortages. Right. It's not, so it's not controversial to use it for weight loss. It's indicated, approved by the FDA, by Health Canada, by the EMA, which is the European Medical uh, Association. So it's approved for obesity management. Now, what's been happening is this pitting obesity management versus type 2 diabetes management and who should get the medication first. I think that it's not an issue between obesity and diabetes. The issue is, is having enough product. And that's a, that's a, uh, when there's enough product, everything is fine. So, so I think that, that there's, there's not a disease battle. There's just more of an issue of, of can the manufacturer make enough of it? Can we ramp up the, um, the, the, the pr- 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 production of this very important medication? But there is a disease battle. You read all over it, people saying it shouldn't be used for weight loss because there's not enough for patients with diabetes. <laughs> right. But as soon as there is enough, which could be next month, um, then there won't be an issue any longer. And so, um, so what, where the real issue is, is in bias. In, so if, if aspirin was running out um, and uh, there was a big issue between heart disease and, let's say, headaches or some other issue, then I would imagine that, 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 the, that, the, that the Canadian government would put some sort of decree in place to say that, we can only use it for heart disease, not for not for um, um, headaches any longer. Let's try to use something else like Tylenol. Is this really the game changer that people are making it out to be? Yes, it is. This is a huge therapeutic breakthrough for people living with obesity who have struggled for many years. So people at 
350, 450 pounds living with significant comorbidities that have never been able to get their weight down despite struggling and trying. So these are people that work hard. So anyone you see living with obesity is working hard to get their weight down, but genetically and pathophysiologically, from a physiological standpoint, they can't get it down. They are not weak. They don't have a lack of capacity, a lack of constitution. They are struggling with a disease. And finally, we have a medication that makes a difference, just like the breakthrough with hepatitis C or the breakthrough with um, certain cancers. This was this is a huge breakthrough because we failed in the past horribly, and we only had bariatric surgery. And every medication, we always failed, failed, failed. We finally um, figured out what to do, and this is a significant breakthrough. And so what would you like to leave us with on this? I think the important part is to treat people living with obesity, a medical disease, with respect, not to be biased against them, not to think negatively or in a, in, in a manner that, that these people are not trying, that they're weak, that they don't have the capacity that they have, a, um, uh, uh, that they have a constitutional um, um, issue, um, uh, a lack of constitution. They are bright, capable, appropriate, and, and, uh, and using the medication in an appropriate manner. That's what I would like to leave us with, that obesity is a real disease that needs to be treated. The aesthetic use of this is an entirely different field. That's TikTok. That's Kim Kardashian. That needs an aesthetic doctor to talk to you about that and whether we should or should not use it or how we use it. But that's not the field of obesity medicine. That's a whole entirely different field, not an inappropriate one, but a different field. Okay. Dr. Sean Wharton, thanks so much. Terrific. Thank you. That was obesity specialist Dr. Sean Wharton. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, a new advocate for Canada's caregivers. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, helping you unlock money you didn't know you had. Members-only discounts that can save you tons. Find out more at carp.ca. Four Canadians provide unpaid care for a friend or loved one, and they spend a total of 5.7 billion unpaid hours doing this every year. Many struggle to balance care and paid work and to manage burnout. The Canadian Centre for Caregiving Excellence was recently launched to give them a new voice. I talked with Executive Director Liv Mendelson. There are many wonderful advocacy groups that we partner with uh, who focus on the needs of people accessing care on the patient. Um, I think we know that a big part of the equation and really undergirding the functioning of, of our health and social care systems are caregivers. For every uh, hour of care that someone accesses in the healthcare system, caregivers pr- are providing three hours of care. And we know that um, all of the, the many issues going on in healthcare right now, whether it's you know uh, wait times, crowded ERs, all of those are, are both um, experienced by caregivers and really buttressed by caregivers who are continuing to support, give care, 
um, and and uh, love and uh, keep people going as they are uh, dealing with all of this um, real crisis in in care. Has this gotten worse over the pandemic or stayed absolutely. stable? Absolutely, absolutely. So the pandemic, I mean, obviously, um, also revealed uh, a, a, an existing really difficult situation for caregivers, insufficient supports, uh, um, really challenging, uh, trying to juggle work and care, uh, lots of lots of challenges. But through the pandemic, uh, we really saw caregivers brought to and, and beyond the brink. Um, we know, you know, that uh, recent studies show that 80%, uh, sorry, 87% of um, Canadian caregivers experience loneliness. 67% reported deterioration in mental health. Uh, more than half say that their physical health has, has deteriorated. Um, and that is through the pandemic and, and continuing. Uh, we know from uh, a recent study uh, in Ontario that um, a quarter of caregivers actually say their mental health is worse now compared than to, to when we were at the height of the pandemic. And, and part of that is because there's, there's very little support there's almost no respite, and uh, it's very hard to be uh, resilient for such an extended period of time. How many of us are caregivers, and how much time do people spend doing that? The most recent data we have is from 2018, and that is that one in four Canadians are caregivers. We know that one in two will be a caregiver within the next five years, and we know that um this is something that impacts every Canadian family. Um, we are all going to be uh, providing and accessing care during the course of our lives. Um, um, and caregivers are spending uh, around 20 hours uh, a week of care. What is the cost in terms of uh, what caregivers want to do in their own lives? It's tremendous. 46% of caregivers reported um, short-term absenteeism. Um, and uh, it's it's a real struggle uh, uh, for caregivers at every stage of the, their their career. Young caregivers are uh, not able to take advantage of um, a career advancement that they might want to uh, because they're juggling care and their work is not as flexible as they would they would hope it would be. Uh, many caregivers, particularly women, uh, step out of the workforce to provide care and miss out on key earning years and key uh, years of career advancement. And um, and our older caregivers are, are balancing, you know, what happens to their benefits, their pensions, their retirement savings when they are trying to, uh, you know, juggle care and, and paying out of pocket for caregiving expenses. In the short term, what are your goals? Our overarching goal really is, is to um, continue to build a caregiving focused movement in Canada, and to bring everyone together across aging, disability, uh, towards a national caregiver strategy that will address um, some key needs uh, in terms of supports, respite care, income supports, and for care providers for our caregiving workforce um, that will also uh, look at their needs in terms of wages and in terms of working conditions and professionalization and continuing education. Liv Mendelson, thanks so much. Thank you, Libby. That was Liv Mendelson of the Canadian Centre for Caregiving Excellence. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. 
Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.